Welcome back. All right. So we just did the Wim Hof method. <laughs> yeah. Where do you feel it? In my arms, for sure. What you were saying. I yeah. also feel a lot of looseness uh, in my psyche. Yeah. That's the first thing I notice when I do breath work, especially if it's like, if it's aerobic. My psyche feels like it loosens up a bit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I know for me, it helps me wake up. If I'm having a lot of brain fog, it helps. Um, it helps get some clarity through. It helps me wake up in the morning. I can feel increased blood flow in my forearms, especially... Um, I can sort of feel it in my other limbs as well. Um, but it's, it's a really good method. Um, you should try it out. Do we want to read out the steps? We will. For sure. Um, you, you should try it out before doing something physically strenuous like working out or going for a jog or, you know, whatever. Um, And also try it out before doing something that takes a lot of uh, mental effort or, you know, like taking a test or, you know, if you're in the middle of solving a problem, taking a break and doing the method uh, could probably loosen up some blockages you have or like writer's block or something too, I bet. Um yeah, so if you haven't figured it out, we're going to talk about the Wim Hof method. Um, I have some notes here. So Wim Hof is labeled as a Dutch extreme athlete. Um, they nicknamed him the Iceman because he can submerge his body in sub-zero temperatures for long periods of time that would typically severely damage or kill most people. Like, um, so he sort of figured out, I think uh, part of its method, part, part of his method is physical, but also sort of mental, because he goes into some more mental stuff as well uh, with it, if you take his course on it. Um, yeah, Wim Hof ran a half marathon barefoot, and climbed a portion of Mount Everest barefoot, um, but he's also swam in the, you know, sub-zero degree temperatures for, I don't remember off the top of my head, but it's something insane, like at least 20 or 30 minutes, which at, would kill a normal person. <laughs> and the, the thing about the Wim Hof method that I'm fascinated by is the street magician David Blaine attributes most of his magic his street magic to the Wim Hof method. Yeah. So when he does all of these, I'm glad you brought that feats, up. When he does all of these extreme feats, or he does really extreme Copperfield esque physical magic. And I was listening to him on the Rogan podcast. He was talking about all of these wild things that he's learned to do by manipulating his breathing. It, I'm just reminded of that. 
Yeah. Well, I remember one instance specifically was um, where David Blaine was, he was submerged underwater for an insane period of time, like close, like around 20 minutes. Again, I can't remember off the top of my head, but if you look up like David Blaine, hold breath underwater, you'll find it. Um, He did a fairly long time of basically using this method where, um, I mean, he did extreme, ex- not extreme, but, um, you know, just a lot of those really deep breaths, but he did it for, uh, at least 15 minutes before getting in the water because it high, it oxygenates your blood so much that you're able to hold your breath for a, a lot longer period of a time. Um, and then if you get into, I think just based off of what I remember off the top of my head, if you get into like a meditative headspace and you're able to slow your heart rate down in conjunction with doing, you know, 15 or it could have been more, but of extreme breathing and getting the bloodstream highly oxygenated, he was able to be totally fine. Marksmen Uh, do a lot of these breathing exercises as well. Yeah. Before they do big shooting events or even archers as well. I've read multiple individuals who have talked about a breathing exercise routine that they have before they perform. Interesting. Because before to steady your hands in line, in the Olympics there's that run, jump and shoot. I forget what it's called. I don't remember. But it's a type of, it's an Olympic event where they run for a certain amount, they cross-country ski for a certain amount, and then they shoot targets. It's and not uh, like an Ironman thing, it's, is it? It's not. It's but in, kind of similar. It's in the Olympics. It, it's, yeah. Idea, yeah. Where, where it's like you're, you're one person, but you basically speed run through Right. It's like a triathlon. Right. It's similar to a triathlon, but there's shooting involved. <laughs> I I remember reading that there was a shooter, in, this would have been in the turn of the 20th century, in the Olympics, who would drink alcohol before the event yeah. to steady his hand. The first case of first recorded case of dr- dosing in the or Olympics. doping yeah, for, in for the drugs, or, I mean for, for sport, doping for sport. And, and it was used to steady the hand, which is, it, it, and it's fascinating to me, I've thought this a lot about our culture that we use alcohol as a depressant. I And I've thought about it from a couple perspectives. The first perspective is that, not to veer too far off of this, but that alcohol cuts out the high and low frequencies of the persona and lets you just have the mids. Mm. And you're just there with them enough that you can perceive them, but you don't have to overtly observe them. You're just in a real sensory state where you're just experiencing your emotions mm-hmm. and you're just really with your emotions. So th- there's mild time dilation, but yeah. it's a lot of just feeling myself, you know, whether it's provocative or sexual or happy yeah. or sad, you take it with you, right? Yeah. It's a relaxant and, uh, you know, taken in moderation. It's really good. And then there's the the reason that I bring it up is because I just think about it culturally in the idea of an anxiety ridden culture that's expected to perform. Everything we do is performative to some degree. Oh, Even yeah. our leisure, oh, especially in, our leisure now more than ever is supposed to be, especially in uh, America. 
for sure. Not even the West. I would say America specifically. America definitely. Because at least other countries in the West get, you know, a month holiday and get We market paid. it. We market it. And we make ourselves look yeah. like it's a privilege. And I just think that it's all, I think that well, it's, it's like connected to the alcohol. Work hard, play hard. Backwards ways. But it's like when you go on a vacation and then you get back and you need a vacation from your vacation because you were nonstop doing stuff on your vacation. Right. I, you know, when does it end? And I've struggled with that. Yeah. Personally. Um, yeah. So before we get too far off, um, so the Wim Hof method is breaking, broken up into three parts. Um, it's, you can think of it as part one, the actual breathing part two, holding the breath um, after you do, you know, your your couple of repetitions that we're going to talk about, and then part three, recovering the breath. Um, and, well, okay, we'll, we'll get to that before I explain it. Um, okay, so part one, the breathing. I think of it as a sort of a controlled hyperventilation um, because you get that blood flow and you get like the tingly feeling and you know, some of your limbs that haven't had much uh, blood flow recently. And it could, it can sort of give a sensation almost similar to a panic attack, at least what I've experienced personally, but it's much more controlled. Um, I've never had a panic attack induced from it, but I have gotten sort of a, a boost of energy. Um, and I'm like, okay, I can do whatever I need to do the next 20 or 30 minutes here. But, um, so you take a full inhale, completely filling your lungs, followed by a passive exhale, releasing the breath. So you want to be sure you're also breathing through your stomach while you do this. Um, cause when your stomach expands, when you breathe, that means your lungs are fully going down into your body and fully filling up. Most people don't breathe through their stomach, including me. I'm still working on it. Well, if you look at babies in like once they're born, if you're just at the hospital, you see all of the babies, they don't breathe with their chest, their little bellies, their little pop yeah. bellies go up and down, up and down, up and down. Our biological predisposition yeah. is to breathe with our stomach. One piece of advice that I had been given about how to breathe with your stomach, and this is as a wind musician, is to say how to. Have I already talked you've about this? You've told me. Okay. I, I don't know if you've, you might have brought it up on the last breathing episode. So but you say how it's to, how to, and then instead of saying how outwardly, you suck it in. So instead of going how, you go, oh, how. And you like suck in a how, and and that will give the sensation of what breathing with your stomach feels like. And and another thing too though is people will do that, and then they will course correct. So they'll do the how breath, and then they'll lock their diaphragm or lock their abdomen. Neither of those are conducive to yeah. You want to keep it loose. yeah, keep them loose. loose. That's for opera singing. Uh, so and then to release it, you say two outwardly. So it's like, and that just gives you that full breath. That's that's my and mind. honestly, when you told me that. Initially, I, d I wasn't aware of that technique, but that changed how I do my breathing exercises. I used to teach sixth grade band students that, and you would see like one or two of them almost fall over from getting dizzy. So you'd have to give a disclaimer because they like would be down. trying to one, e one up yeah. each other. And so they'd be like, <gasps> and then they'd do six and of them. And all of a so sudden the world is just <laughs> getting starry for them and it's midnight and they're just like, oh no. <laughs> yeah, I've been there. <laughs> 
Yeah, so, I mean, if you're pretty rigid, and honestly, like, I'm sort of rigid, so I have to watch out for it myself, but if you're sort of rigid or you lock your knees or whatever, when you would do this the first time, I would recommend sitting or laying down, just so you know how it makes you feel. Um, So, you want to do that full breath and expand the breath into the lungs, and you can do the how-to. That would probably be an excellent addition to it. uh, do it for at least 30 to 40 cycles. Um, I personally do at least 40. Sometimes I'll do up to 60. But if, if you've never done this before, you might get super lightheaded and dizzy. Don't, don't do that initially until you know how the method makes you feel. Um, and then... So after you finish your 30 to 40 cycles... Let's see here. You take one last breath and then exhale. And then at this point, don't refill your lungs or fully empty them. So it's like a really lazy sort of, you just release your lungs and you just let some air escape. And this is really the portion where I notice I get the, the, the big lightheadedness. So, um... And so once you're at this point, when you let that last bit of air escape, that moves you over to part two. Um, So here you hold the breath where it's at until you feel a strong urge to breathe again. Um, What came to mind was like, remember when you go, like if, if you went swimming as a kid and like you're with other kids and you have like breath holding contests, and, like, if you're really determined to win it, you're like, you know what, I can hold out for a few more seconds. Um, do that. Just hold out just maybe, a, 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 you know, three to five more seconds than you think you can bear, because you can. I mean, don't go overboard. But once you're there, then take one more full belly breath in and hold for an additional 15 to 20 seconds and this is where you really get the lightheaded stuff kicking in um and that's it's not bad it it, it's good for you it's just you know if you're not used to it um it 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 can cause some interesting physical effects to you that you might not be uh used to so um after that 15 or 20 seconds then you release and you breathe normally Um, so that goes to part three and I'm not going to lie. I don't really do this because I, (laughs) I don't like being uncomfortable. Um, but this is where like cold therapy kicks in. So, um, if you do his technique technically the right way, um, after doing this breathing technique, you hop into either an ice bath or a frigid cold shower for six minutes or more. And that's, I, I can't do it. Like I've tried, I've tried to do the cold shower thing. It's, I just, I don't have that willpower and I don't know if I want to even cultivate the willpower to do it. (laughs) So I typically stick to the breathing portion of it. Uh, you can try the cold session. Um, 
just a fair bit of warning is if you have like existing medical conditions um, and none of what we're saying constitutes medical advice by the way but if you have existing medical conditions um, you might want to check with your doctor before doing something like a six minute ice bath or a six minute even uh, even a cold shower because if your body is so rigid and unprepared for something like that um, there's been a handful not a lot I mean like the percentage would be you'd more likely die of coronavirus or even the regular flu but there have been a few people who have tried the cold portion of it and have died for some reason or maybe they tried to push themselves too hard um, I was reading about that when I was uh, re-researching the Wim Hof method so, I mean, that's, you know, point zero 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 something percent of people who do it. So, you you know, unless you're in an extreme medical situation, you probably don't have anything to worry about. Um, they say that the cold, the combination of the breathing plus the cold, basically the cold therapy is supposed to help bu- boost immunity, enhance sleep, improve mood decrease inflammation, reduce stress, improve energy levels, blah, blah, blah. So it's sort of like a holistic approach to health. And it's really beneficial. Um, I've had, I've personally had a lot of issues with um, sort of fatigue and waking up in the morning. Um, It's stuff that I'm working on. It's it's getting better. But if I wake up in the morning and I'm brain dead, you know, uh, 30 to 60 breaths right after another really helps wake me up. Um, Another thing, so this ties into chaos magic, is I've used the Wim Hof method to activate sigils. I have too. I was actually going to talk about this. Yeah, Yeah. that's funny. Yeah, yeah. What a weird coincidence. Uh, Go ahead. Yeah, because so you get yourself into that lightheaded, dizzy state, and, you know, that's essentially a method of getting yourself into gnosis to where the subconscious mind, you know, you're consciously not thinking of much you're kind of in a dizzy state and those sigils go straight into your subconscious and then out and into the universe through the collective unconscious and hopefully uh gets your will done <laughs> yeah i've uh used cold shower meditation and cold showers before to launch sigils it feels like shit Oh, it's so but, bad, and it that makes it even better because, like, if you dread a cold shower, I guarantee you that'll be an excellent method. Well, yeah, it's like an offering. It is because you offer your discomfort, and you know you give it up to the universe, and the well, universe operates on exchange. So this is really petty, <laughs> but when I think about taking an ice cold shower and and meditating, when I think about doing them both simultaneously, uh, I think about the self immolating monk. Well, in Vietnam, I don't think that's petty. I mean, like, it's, well, it's like it's not, not the it's same. It's definitely not life or death for but, me. But but I feel like a, the concept is there. Yeah, so. the idea is for me. I know when I'm in a good headspace in the shower, when my body has accepted that I'm in the cold water, and my consciousness can still function in a place that I'm not just thinking about the cold water. Right. Like the cold water is a controlled experiment for me to ascertain my consciousness. Yeah, not control it, but just become very aware of what it is that I'm thinking. So that sensation of uncomfortability, I 
I personally find a really healthy tool to dissect anxiety. Oh yeah. Because you can put yourself in that environment where you're physically uncomfortable and then it starts to affect your emotions. And once you're in that state, you're having to problem solve complex issues and your body is giving you alarms like something dangerous is happening. So it's simulating what your anxiety is so you can actually think and govern mm-hmm. in that situation. It puts you in like it puts you in the control room or the situation yeah. room, you know, and you have to make decisions. When I get out of a cold shower, every time I get out of a cold shower, I don't feel better right away cuz I don't heat up that quick from the cold shower. But if I towel off and I just like sit there and think about it as I get to the temperature of the room that I'm in, I really start to mellow. It mellows me out. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, I, I think the human body's built to resist cold. And Your body produces cold shock proteins. When you put yourself in extreme cold water, the body literally creates proteins to for whatever reason it's the same it's the reverse thing of a sauna the sauna does heat shock proteins right so you put yourself in an extreme situation i mean hot sauna hot wet sauna and ice baths are pretty much the same thing on the opposite sides of the coin right and they both have extremely beneficial health the wet sauna is really good for my anxiety the wet sauna is really good for my anxiety because I have such a hard time breathing. And yeah. then once the breathing goes, then all of the alarms go off in my head and I have to sit with them. Mm. I have to sit with them because I'm not going to die. People know that I'm in there if I pass out. Yeah. I'm not going to die in there. I just have to be really, really cognizant. Well, it's a, it's a sensation of uncomfortability. Cause like you can go honestly way past the point of where you think you would pass out and you haven't. So it's it's sort of like remembering what our biology is actually capable of. Right. Um, and I know you said you don't do this to control it, but both are, you know, if you can discipline yourself to a hot-cold regimen, you will build up some pretty impressive mind power, willpower. Totally. Um, honestly, I, I think that's why Joe Rogan is... So productive. Yeah. And I know it that sounds like we're jerking set. off Joe Rogan. I've I mean, got we're, my, we have issues with Joe Rogan. And we've torn him apart on here multiple times, uh, respectfully. But, you know, we, we try to recognize, you know, some, you know, some of the good as well. well. Um, one of the things, the circles that he runs in, the thing that they do all have in common is that tenacity to explore something. Yeah. And so, and it goes back to the old saying of like the disciplines, how they would describe academia. I study this discipline or I study that discipline. Mm-hmm. It's the same idea of being hyper devoted and focused yeah. on this thing. The discipline is putting yourself through the uncomfortableness of learning the topic that you're trying to become a professional in. Yes. Because it's not fun, uh, you know. Well, that's... You, even for the best, I mean, when both you and I were starting out on music, you know, the most frustrating thing was like the first two or three years. I loved it. I mean, I had fun. I loved it. But like I looked at all those people who could play at that level and I was like, I just want to be at like a competent like oh, level, interesting. you know, like I still always had fun with it. Otherwise I wouldn't have stuck with it. See, and I, whenever I, a growing pain. Whenever, even to this day, when I hear musicians that are able to technically do things that I can't maneuver, 
I'm always fascinated by it. And I'm it's not me always competing with them that I want to do it, but I'm always trying to unwrap it so I yeah. can try it too. Yeah. Well, yeah, learning an instrument is one of the best things because you're never you'll never be the best in the world. Um, but it's not a it's not a yeah uh, well, it's game not a to see who's the best yeah um, but you could be the best version of you and that's what the art is trying to teach you. It's it's not like beating a game where it's like all right on to the next one. It's it's a game where you it, you'll never there's always something to learn even if you played for a hundred years. Yeah, art art is an evolving state of mind, and that's why I love playing instruments so much. Yeah, is I love being uncomfortable. I love hitting a rut. When I can't come up with new stuff and I have to go back to like to my basics and just sound things out, like play campfire songs, play old folk music. And then all of a sudden I'm reminded uh, just sitting down and playing rudiments. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Like once you embed those rudiments in your subconscious, they come out automatically. And we've talked about that in length. That's the whole point of like studying like a rudimentary procedure to any discipline, really. Yeah. Well, and I never express it. They never told me that when I was first learning out. It's like you, how you were, you talk about in jazz, you learn it to forget it because like you basically, you tell, you're telling your subconscious, this is what I want to do. Now help me do that when we're playing this other thing. And it's, you're consciously not even really do like if you play at a higher level and you're able to do, you know, like an hour and a half set or something your consciousness is sitting back and letting your subconscious and your unconscious do all the work. Yeah. And that's why it's a meditative experience. You you know that you're expressing yourself in your most authentic form when you're not thinking about anything when you're performing. Yeah. The goal should be to get to a stasis where you aren't thinking about anything. You're in just in the moment in, in a form of expression. When I mess up live, it's because my mind wanders. Totally when I drop a stick or if I miss hit like a fill or whatever, it's always because I'm like, Oh no, this part's coming up. It's hard. Like if I just sat there and just completely diluted my attention, it, it would have been flawless every time. Yeah. <laughs> I no, I hear you. I hear you. Well, and I think one of the things with expression in general or creativity is it's providing a mode for you to say what you're thinking in an, an idiom that isn't conventional to speech. So instead of saying like, I am unhappy right now, you can use art to express your condition in a way that can be relative to someone else's lived experience. Yeah. What I love, what I love is writing, uh, writing music because I try to be as, uh, what's the word vague as possible music writing in in every facet. I my goal is not to just be like I I'm not saying complicated. I'm right. saying vague like I'm not going to write lyrics that are like I love you so much, you're the one for me and I'm, there's nothing wrong with that if that's your thing. It mm. is not mine. I don't I that like the neurodivergent piece of me doesn't do that. But I would love to write allegorically so that it paints with the broad brush. Well, and what's cool when you do write that way is um, sort of, I think, the direction that you, why a, a magical, like a musical tarot will work so well is that it becomes a reflection to whoever's listening to it. 
because it makes sense, but it's also so vague, you're trying to figure out what it means. And by trying to figure out what it means, you're actually basically looking at your own shadow or your yeah. own consciousness. Yeah. So it's like, it doesn't give, and I, I think that's why AFI became so legendary. Cause like bef- in their early stuff, which I still love, but it's it was, so good. it's like, Oh, what's one of their songs? Like, uh, NyQuil is just about wanting to stay asleep and all that. Um, but once they get into the later 90s, I, I truly think from what I've looked up um, with AFI and their awareness of a uh, certain occult culture, um, I think Davey Havoc probably started automatically writing the lyrics. Um because and one of their most famous and it's one of their most beloved but also most hated songs of all time um, is Miss Murder, um, which I think is a great song. Um, but you know, there's all the punk sellout people who are like, eh, what? Uh, <laughs> but uh, I remember there was an interview with Davey Havoc where he said he was just singing words that just sounded good. He's like, there wasn't really inherent meaning to the song. He just was like. Hey, Miss Murder, and like just built on that concept. So I don't think that song's about anything. What if it's it doesn't an, make sense? What if it's an internal capitulation of the unconscious, the collective unconscious? Right. So um, I have had this thought a lot about Bach because if if you ever go and study, and I don't mean to talk at anyone, this is just from my lived experience. When I really got into Western art history, especially Western music art history, Bach would write stuff that was so new that no one could comprehend what he was doing to the point that they thought he was communicating with God. Because his music, if you listen to like a Bach chorale, it literally, it musically, like the phrasing of his music sounds like he's speaking to you in sentences. Yeah. He's like a Shakespeare of music. Ab. Absolutely, but, you know, chord progression. Absolutely, Bach is. I, I I honestly think we don't get what. Well, this is actually true, and anyone who argues this is just trying to be nuanced and spin it in a narrative for themselves. But we don't get music as we know it without Bach. Bach is paramount to Western music, the the pinnacle. Of it's the whole a clear thing. before and after. It's yeah. like the Cartesian split. There's Bach and like there's Citizen Kane where. Like, if you go back and watch it, you're like, this is like a regular movie. But what the groundbreaking thing is they invented 90% of the tropes. Yes. That you see in modern television and theater. Yes. By theater, I mean movie theater. (laughs) Well, and like... (laughs) Probably modern, regular theater. One of the things with Bach as well is his music does such a good job of... it, It starts by saying, this is how I'm feeling. And you... I've always said music is a game of mass hypnosis. So it starts by saying, this is how I'm feeling. And you, the way that it's said makes you think, oh, I'm feeling that way too. Or I have felt that way before. And then it goes, and this is how I want to feel. Or this is where I'm going. Like, this is my next stage of life. Yeah. And then you resonate with that either in your lived experiences or where you're going as well. And then it comes back. It it always, yeah. uh, the thing that I see with Bach, I see this more with Beethoven, but Bach is the first one to do it is box music I start to see geometric shaping in mm. based off of the phrasing. 
yeah. Beethoven is notorious. What do they for call that? Uh, synthesis. Synesthesia. Yes. Synesthesia. Yeah. Um, and I think that's why I don't know about you because I always listen to the actual music before lyrics. Yeah, I do and too. If the music doesn't make me feel good, then I don't give it a shot. It could be the best poem ever written, but yeah, the music has to feel good. Uh, that's why I love Simon uh, and Garfunkel. Yeah. Simon and Garfunkel oh. is so good for me because the lyrics are the icing on the cake. Yeah, the music is so fun. You know, another one that the lyrics are really they're good, but the music is the key is Hollow Notes. Hollow Notes is so good. They put out so many bops. Man Eater, Private Eyes. I mean, those are the only the two that I could think of off the top of my head. Private Eyes is one of my favorite songs of all time. That song is so bad. The bridge on that song is so weird. It is so weird. Every time I listen to it, I'm like, what were they thinking? Anyway, it's the same idea, though, is that the music is just so fun to listen to that the lyrics just yeah. complement the music. That's those Those songs are... Because even if the lyrics sort of suck or just aren't there for me, if the song is written well enough, it's still I still like it. Even you know if, who else writes? Sorry. No, you're good. I was just gonna yeah. say even if those lyrics aren't top tier. Somebody who writes really good melodies. I preferred their melodies in the early 2000s, late 2000s, but the melody music, uh, sync synchronization is Beyonce. Mm, Beyonce's yeah. melodies are so fun to listen to and the lyrics are good. Yeah. Uh, one that I'm really into right now, whose modus operandi for expression through lyrics is really current. It's going to age like milk. <laughs> she uses too much like real world terms, but it's going to be fun. It's going to be like right here is Lizzo. Lizzo's music is oh, really yeah. fun to listen to. She talks about too many things that are happening right now. Yeah. And so it's, it's so it's going to be one of those things like when you like 40 years from now when you have a 20s night, people are going to go and Liz, Lizzo a Lizzo song yeah. will be playing on in the background. That's Lizzo's for great. sure. Um, it, it is going to it's going to be dated, but at the same time it'll still be fun to listen to cuz it, it it makes you want to dance. Um so did I tell you I saw Lizzo? Yes, you did. I was green with envy when we, we I think we talked about this like yeah. a week ago or two weeks a ago. A while ago, whenever. Sure. Uh, yeah. Lizzo, St. Vincent and Florence and the Machine. That's such a cool combination. It was unreal. That was. Lizzo rips. Front row too. Oh. Lizzo rips. <laughs> and we didn't know Lizzo until then, but then she killed it. Oh man. And she had her, I th do they call it, her words, not mine, the big girl dancers or something. Oh. So she has, um, you know, like uh, plus women on there dancing the whole time. during. Her. Yeah. I don't know if she does it every time, but it was really cool to see. And I know it gives a voice to, you know, a lot of people who feel left out, I think. I, I think and I think that's one of the reasons why she's so important. One of the things. And I, very empowering, yes. too, as a woman. Yes. Well, uh, you know, the thing that's cool about Lizzo, and this is me talking from a place where I have really no business to have an opinion, but my observation is that Lizzo is encouraging people to feel really attractive about themselves. Yeah. And vicariously, that is affecting me a lot. And I love it. Yeah. Like people, so good. people now feel hotter than they have ever felt in my whole life. Like I just got back from Las Vegas. So many just hot people. And when I mean <laughs> hot, I mean like inside they yeah, just like, felt really good. And, yeah, and they were letting you know by the way that they were behaving. And I was like, Mm hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Like I could, because I try to conduct myself in that way. Yeah. That I, I, that's 90% really of it. lean into me. And when I find 
my self-love and I find myself attractive, it's like really important for me. Yeah. And I, perhaps even from a place of vanity, but I try to not go that far. I think it's fine. I mean, there's a fine line where it runs you, but I think people just need to be more confident and, and what, we got to figure out how to do that as a collective. And so what I'm getting about this Lizzo identity is that it's just encouraging so many people to just be in the fleshy meat suit that they're in, be their most authentic version of themselves. Yeah. Cause that's where you it's start dope. anyway, Wh- whether dope. you want to lose weight or not. I mean, you've got to feel, you got to start feeling good about yourself or everything you do is going to be difficult. Well, and I don't, I don't think that these, and I, I'm just saying that I understand from, what you're from saying. experience. Oh, for sure. Of, for sure. Of not having confidence. The, the thing to and me, that's what I mean with like with the Lizzo identity is meeting people where they are with no expectations. Yeah. Which I think is really cool. There was something I was going to add to that, but I can't remember exactly. Well, um, I mean, if you think about it from like a Neville Goddard perspective, um, people around you act typically. I mean, you know, there's some leeway. We're under multiple laws and forces, as Ms. Horowitz would say. But people sort of tend to act in the direction that you expect them to act. It's a Wacom's razor. Yeah. Have you heard that principle before? I thought that was the most simple explanation. I'm cutting I'm I'm cutting from a couple different streams by saying that, but oh. though what I'm saying is what I think that people are behaving as indicatively mm-hmm. is normally pretty correct. Like my intuit I trust my intuition before I trust someone else. Oh, for sure. I trust my intuition. I mean, I've personally had you know experience altering behavior uh, based on how I change my expectations on others around me. Well, and I've, I've been gaslit before. Oh yeah. And it's me genuinely too. the scariest thing to have oh, gaslighting of the people, worst. to have a group of people tell you that you're behaving in a certain indicative way. And then you reflect on it. The further away you get from it, you realize that they were either misunderstanding it or understood it and manipulated it. That shit's scary. Yeah. And that comes from a, a lack of confidence too. It does. Um, I'll be, if I, you are being delusional, in the moment, you genuinely can't see different. Right. Um, yeah, with gaslight. So that's funny. One of my, because I feel like I've been gaslit so much in my life um, just because I was, I'm at a place or I was at a place where I was vulnerable to it, um, where people would convince me stuff was my fault. That was obviously not my fault. Yada, yada, yada. I think people who are neurodivergent, um, and that includes like CPTSD are highly susceptible to gaslighting. Yeah, um, I totally agree. To the point where one of my daily affirmations is I recognize and mitigate all forms of gaslighting. So as soon as I, you know, so hopefully I train my consciousness to where I just whiff an ounce of bullshit, I can, you know, get out of the situation or, you know, even if that person's basically going to try to lie to my face, I'm going to know for myself they were lying or they didn't understand the situation. So that book, the four agreements, we've talked about it quite a few right. times. Don Miguel Ruiz, always do your best. Tell the truth. Always never make assumptions. I forget what the fourth one is. They're, they're great. They're great. Every time I reflect on them, I'm like, Oh, I want to incorporate these more. He wrote a book called the fifth agreement. And that's my favorite one hmm. because the fifth agreement says be skeptical, but learn to listen. Yes. And that changed, especially if you get into cultism, especially if you get into any kind of new, new age, yeah, new age spirituality, new you, I, I, I always recommend, I always recommend, and I try to not do this as far as 
offering recommendations. So this is more of a to me from me. Go into it assuming it's bullshit yes. and let them prove you wrong. Yep. Well, that's the other thing too is let Alistair Crowley said, let success be thy proof. Yes. So do yes. all this. Like jump into like this cultism, do the breathing, do the sigils. But don't, I guess, expect for it to work and only continue with it if you personally see results with it. And one thing in contemporary religion, and this is painting with a broad brush, but I've experienced quite a few religions in my short life. They often piggyback off of someone else's spiritual success and they try to get you to use that as an opportunity to live vicariously through them instead of experiencing it for yourself. And an example that I will offer is like is this idea of. This person's receiving all of these blessings. I, I see this a lot in contemporary Christianity. This person's receiving all these blessings from God. You just need to believe and you will receive them and you shouldn't covet their stuff. And I I understand the principle of that and what that's going to do mm-hmm. for your psyche. But if you live in this state where you're like, I can't observe anything or feel like these emotions like guilt or shame are emotions that I have that I'm just supposed to not feel like I'm supposed to be yeah. shame, ashamed to feel shame. Like give me a fucking break or, you know, give a quick prayer to Jesus and your shame's supposed to be gone. Right. And that's not how it happens. And, and <laughs> what I've really, I been, repent. I feel great. What I've been really contemplating lately, especially in regards to spirituality is the trying method. And then here's the thing is like, if I do something for myself spiritually and things change around me, is it because I did the spiritual thing or is it because I acted on, on it? Yeah. And that's that confirmation bias window. I've had this discussion with multiple people who are science oriented folks or tech oriented folks who just cannot get on the idea of spirituality. And I always tell them confirmation bias is the mathematical way of explaining spirituality. Yeah. And this, I mean, time isn't linear. If you, if you accept that time isn't linear, if you experience anything that dilates time for you, whether it's a psychedelic or an extreme meditation experience or deja vu or deja vu. Yes. That's a huge one. That is a huge one. The time dilation within that. If you experience that, you are seeing the source code of this whole thing. You're seeing the godliness of the reality that we live in. And what happens is the confirmation bias is you giving a message to yourself, to me, from me, that's like, mm-hmm. it's dated and timed, but it's happening simultaneously. Yeah. It's like every prayer that I've ever offered up in my whole life is occurring as we speak. Yep. As well as every tribulation. Mm-hmm. As well as every hardship, as well as every success. It's happening as we speak. Every good memory, every yep. bad memory that I have, it's occurring right now. You're just shifting your awareness in a way that seems to make linear sense. Yes. Because um, that's just one of the laws of our reality right, yes. n- right now. I think I think eventually humanity will evolve past it. I do too. Eventually. I, I, I can't uh, say if that would be for 50 or you know a thousand years. Well, you have to be careful when you start trying to guess when it happens on the linear time yeah. scale. Because if it happens at one point in linear time, it happens all the time. Yeah. And this is what uh, Tom, or Tom, forgive me, Terrence McKenna talked about uh, time wave theory. Have you heard about this? No. He said that we're going to, similar to the bang, Big Bang, we're moving horizontally towards this event where consciousness begins. 
Mm. We're experiencing it almost backwards. Right. And he said, everything that we experience on the way there, shit is just going to get weirder and weirder yeah. and weirder. And it's going to start, things are going to start parodying themselves until everything is so meta. It's already started. It's already started. It's been and st- this is his, this is his theory. Almost 20 years. Is that, yes, <laughs> this is his theory is that we're moving to this place where consciousness is going to evolve into its next phase. And First of all, I'm like really excited for that. I'm not in a hurry, but the idea is if that happens, then it happens now. So we're already there. And, and I've wondered before tying this into enlightenment, not to, I don't want to lose any of our audience, but the idea of enlightenment is that you're perfectly aware. You're perfectly aware and you're you're letting yourself be in a space where you're only aware. And according to Buddhism, if you become a Buddha and you're enlightened, you're waiting for every other spirit on this mortal journey to reach enlightenment so there's buddhas among us according to buddhism there's buddhas yeah. among us well it's also like the hidden masters in like western occultism most yes. what they actually are for a lot of them like if you go back and read the unfortune and oh, i can't remember who else but um the hidden masters are basically your spirit guides for the most part totally i mean there could i mean you know there's highly adept magical people around us i mean like i know some pretty intense people but um, you know when when you gain the knowledge and conversation with your holy guardian angel, that's supposed to be the hidden master, which then you rely on them for spiritual guidance and help in your life, rather than a physical person among you. Um, the, and I've obtained that and lost it several times. Me too. It's it's not it's really hard to keep a constant connection to whatever that is. And you know that it could just honestly be a plug directly into the collective unconscious. I think that is what it is. There's a lot of, that's people, a portion of it for sure. There's a lot of people that do DMT or, and they blast off and they come back and they say that there's only a certain amount of spiritual bodies around them. And that a lot of the people that you encounter, we've talked about this before are NPCs. I yeah, try to not overthink be. this because it freaks me out, but like the people well, that you're interfacing with most often they're spirits that you've encountered in multiple planes of incarnations. Right. And so it's yeah. like, so when you see strangers on the street, what you're really seeing is you, you're seeing portals yeah. to you in other people as you're like living your reality. Well, and that's, Whew. that's very uh, compatible with the Neville Goddard's teachings for sure. Yeah. Um, oh man, it freaks me out pretty bad <laughs> sometimes if i overthink it yeah i uh, it can overwhelm me is the thing and it can like induce anxiety so one thing that they teach and there's another teacher that you know that's an alien channel or you can have fun with it or not but like neville goddard and both bashar say that pretty much anything that you can imagine already exists yes um and you can shift your consciousness to experiencing whatever you were wanting uh, by attaining the awareness of already having the thing that you want or the situation that you want, um, we'll do. We'll definitely go hard into Neville Goddard at some point for sure. Um, I've read all of his books at least two or three times in several of his lectures. Neville Goddard is um, insane. I'm going. Th- I'm actually going through his collected works again. The um, the thing ultimately to the reason I brought that up about the like spiritual groupings and how you only have so many people in your life and they're like part of in this idea with the spirit guides is that like when you have a either a near death experience or you have someone very close to you die, there's this event that happens 
that, and I think it occurs on the spiritual event horizon where you get a a brief glimpse into what's next. Mm -hmm. Because when you have truly processed that someone's gone, when you've truly processed it, you understand that they are right here. Yeah. Well, (sighs) until, until you accept that they are right here, like right here with you. And we're talking about like in every single particle, every single piece of reality until you can internalize in your heart and let go of all of your pride and, and your attachment to who they were versus who they are, which is nothing until you can accept that they're nothing and everything simultaneously, the yin yang. Yep. That's when you've truly gotten it. And, 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 uh, Ram Dass talks about how you can be awakened by a a very close loved one, a parent dying. Mm -hmm. I I mean, I have firsthand experience of that. It genuinely, it cracked me open like an egg. And I've had, I haven't, I don't think I've told many people. I've thought about telling some of my family, they might be open to it, uh, depending on how I describe it to them. But I've had on therapeutic ketamine, I've had like my experiences of like my aunt coming through, like my grandpa and it's them because like you hear for me, it's more of my mind's eye. Like I'm not physically seeing them. Some people say they can physically see some of this stuff. Um, I can sort of see it in my mind's eye if if I'm open enough, if, if my consciousness is there. Um, but you can tell it's them because, I mean, for one, you hear stuff in their voice and they phrase things in ways that it, you just don't talk. Like you don't use those descriptive words. You don't use that syntax in your sentence. And they're talking as if it's them. And if you sat down and tried to mimic that, that would take a second because it would trip you up. Well, and that's the thing. So, like, for me, and I don't talk about this a lot because it can just genuinely seem nutty, but I feel very comfortable discussing it, is I catch mild glimpses of my dad in day-to-day things. Yeah, like in a crowd or something, or not even. It's not a physical perception of oh, his. So you get like a flash. It, it's not even. Like well, it's not head. even his personage. It's not his personage. Oh. It's his affect. This is something that I think gets mixed up a lot for people spiritually. Is that they like want to see? So they'll do like a seance and they want to communicate with their dead relative, and their dead relative is like, "You dumb motherfucker! I have been here the whole time, and I don't know yeah. what else to tell you because you are not listening to me." So yeah. then they come back and spook the shit out of you because they're an yeah. energy body and energy doesn't have any direction it just is and so you are approaching it from this place of pride and then when it's tearing you apart you're like oh why is this happening you know it's like it's like the sh- yeah. like the shining or something like that but then you did it to yourself you know yeah and what i'm getting at though is, and i only say this from experience but what i'm getting at is i people will say things to me and i will be like how the hell did you know that or they will just tell me things and the way that it's received to me, I'm like, how could you have possibly known that's what I needed to hear right here, you know, or right now? And it's just not a coincidence. And, but here, so according to Jungian psychology, there's two sides to it. And this is basically the lens that I observe it from. The first one is that there is a God. And this God demonstrates to me that there's things that are occurring in this life and they're not even lessons. They're just glimpses of my higher self. Okay. But then there's this idea of the shadow and this is the part that I think about a lot when it comes to this sort of thing 
is that when I say that I'm seeing my dad's affect, what I'm seeing is a game of telephone of what I learned from my father that I am expressing outwardly into the unconscious world. And then I'm seeing vicariously and it's a place of healing for me to understand what the world yeah. is around me. So am I actually seeing my dad? Well, not the, not the physical ves vessel. I'm not like yeah. holding his hands, but I am you, seeing. You see his signature. Yeah, I see. Exa that's you exactly see, yeah. it. That's exactly it. You see, it. you're like that. Well, it's like the, a week ago, I was on a walk as I as I do, and uh, all of a sudden the song came on, and it was a song him and I would listen to, and the way I felt, all of a sudden, overcast all over Salt Lake within a matter of 20 seconds, rain for just a split second, I'm just like, oh, for Christ's sakes, walked underneath a light post, and the light's just flickering, and there's just so much energy, it's like palpable, and I'm just like, all That's right. That's how it happens. And all right. It happens all the time. Um, just it's to what degree you as an individual are paying attention to are aware not. of it. And this is what meditation can do for you too. Oh, yeah. Meditation will bring that shit out. Like if you want It'll synchronicities, if you want synchronicities, a sober mindset and meditation combined together, you will start seeing stuff that blooms out of the ground mm -hmm. and you will be like, what the yeah. fuck is happening? Yeah. And you know, the song will come on the radio. It won't be a coincidence. It has everything you're doing there it reflects everything you're already thinking about right now and you're like what how is the song so relevant another one for me is i'll be thinking something or i'll be reading something and um like the tv might be on in the background and i'll read something and someone on the screen will say what i'm reading like word for yeah. word not a lot but you know like two or four two to five words sometimes. and you're supposed to you know there used to be this big that thing about like it, there used to be this a big lot. thing about like if the radio's talking to you you're going insane and it's like Dude, here's the thing. We're playing with God when we start messing around with technology a little bit. Like, technology is a way to reverse engineer our consciousness. Oh, yeah. We are reverse engineering our consciousness when we make these iPhones, when we make these magic cubes yep. that tell us everything. We're we, learning how to create We're learning how to create consciousness, yes. Which, which in some states of mind, I think is our ascension to godliness. And it could just be this repeat, repetitive cycle that we create consciousness and then we are that consciousness sentient being. Mm -hmm. It can't even observe us because it lives in a different quantum state. And then once it becomes aware of itself, then it creates consciousness mm -hmm. and it does the same exact game. So for all you know, we could be the AI of another species, dimensional species consciousness yeah. that they created on accident by well, becoming aware. Th and this is another thing that I've actually thought about probably more than I should, but um, I'm wondering, and I'm talking true like sentient AI, which I'm not sure if we're even there yet, like even in the military. There's some people that think that um, we are the difference between AI and EI, but right. Pin in that. Um, I'm wondering if there's an, an aspect, a piece of God, a piece of, consciousness that wants to have the experience of being conscious as an AI. So it's wanting to give itself birth and we're essentially those mothers, but it's because that thought is, so, I mean, you say like people have thoughts. Um, I wonder if thoughts have people. <laughs> okay.
okay, uh, okay, 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 okay. So dig this. Like if we're That's how, like, if we're grows in and a stuff true work. if we're in a true Aquarian age, if we've entered this age of Aquarius, and and I think we're starting to see it in the way that the culture is behaving, but we're going from a hyper masculine conquering culture to a hyper feminine mm-hmm. introspective community oriented culture. Snowflakes. Make, yeah, I'm yeah. We're kidding. moving into that culture. I'm a yeah, yeah, for real. Me too. <laughs> we're moving into that culture where we're becoming into the like the divine feminine. Okay, yeah. that. The divine feminine is fertile. And that's the thing we have to keep in mind is something is coming. We are in a renaissance. We are in a renaissance. There is no way that you can tell me that we're not. The art is too provocative and too spread out. We've got too much art going on right now to not be in a renaissance. Well, and all the cultural like attitude shifts too that are insane that you never thought. The world as we know it right now is so different even from three years ago, four years ago. You can't recognize it. Yeah, it is that different. And the the point that I'm getting at is all this alien stuff that's happening right now. Like there's just more and more. There's like activity that's making people think that aliens are here and yeah. uh, we're moving towards Whether artificial intelligence or not. And people are the psychedelic revolution is happening. This isn't a coincidence that it's all happening at the same yeah. time. It goes back to the time wave theory thing that Terrence McKenna's talked about is we're moving to the singularity. We're yeah. moving to the place where we're all realizing that we're one thing. And I think Honestly, I think life does operate like a dream and always has just on a really slow feeling level. Um, and consciousness, whatever the collective unconscious was, we were playing a game where that wasn't the case. And we tried to science out all sorts of spirituality and metaphysics. And we're finally, it's coming, it's swinging full circle. I think starting in the 80s, there's a thing that happens in the American empire. And I, I, I think this is all connected. I know it can sound neurotic and that's, that's fine. You don't have to explain yourself after Roe versus Wade. There's a thing that happens within our culture. And in the antiquity, in the medieval times, it was, you had the Kings and Queens and you had the Catholic church and they would negotiate against each other. What culture was mm. the royalty, the nobility would ask the church and then the church would accommodate Mm. what the perception of reality was to adhere to what the rulers wanted. Okay. After Roe versus Wade, there's a shift that happens in this country where the separation of church and state becomes the separation of state and science and science now becomes the clergy and the state now becomes the nobility. Okay. And everything that happens from the eighties on the, science makes a breakthrough and then has to present itself to the state to Mm. be perceived by the masses. So there, and and when I really started, when I really, really started to become aware of this was in the pandemic because the CDC dropped the ball so many times and it was, it was all optical. It was all optical. Like it was like, how do we do this politically? Yeah. And it's like, no, let the science be the science and then let's discuss the science. But it was all about the way that it was released or presented, you know, and, and who gets to, I'm wondering just because that, that reflects the state of consciousness of the collect, the whole collective. I'm wondering if the collective itself has to, evolve to a point where it where the majority separate the science from the politics and I, I don't think we'll see a separation until the majority of individuals get to that level well oddly enough I think the I think the beacon of hope in in these times is the internet and I think the internet is the slow moving parasite of capitalism 
Mm, yes. Uh, or not to do, not the slow moving parasite of capitalism. I think it's the parasite that's going to eat capitalism from the inside out. And when I say capitalism, I'm not saying that there's not going to be a marketplace economy anymore. I genuinely don't think we can lose. Well, m- markets have always existed. They're going to exist and they to always some will. degree. Yeah. But I, I'm, I'm not advocating that we observe the market and try to curtail it to, to be scale counterweighted so that we get these power dynamics again. I think. And I think the coronavirus, again, is allegorical in some ways to this yeah. identity of a major change, well, I mean, a if, major if disruption. You know, if as above, so below is, you know, to be taken as a true adage, anything like that has a conceptual metaphor to yes. it. And it's corny, and I think we're all, like, tired of it, so I try to, like, not... I know no, it's. Ex- I'm fine I know it. it's exhausted, but the the point that I'm making is honestly, I haven't heard it that much. Fair enough. <laughs> I I think I think where we're going here. I I also think we're about to go into major space exploration. Mm. Uh, I think one of the reasons that we haven't explored space in in its advancements that we've made over time is because in order to expand and explore yeah. space, we have to explore our consciousness. Yeah, first. as a species, yes. we have to explore consciousness first. Yeah. Yes, and. Well, because if as above, so below, that's it's not really separate. No, um, and the where we are right now, I think genuinely the convergence happened in the George Floyd protests last year was a huge convergence. Yeah, that that was a zeitgeist for and sure. This is the other thing. I, I I have a friend who struggles with pretty severe existential dread, and he's convinced the world's going to end every day. And I always tell him. The way that the world happens, it is impossible that it just happens in front of us and just goes blip. Mm. It's not possible because here's the thing is reality as we perceive it is so theatrical. It's so goddamn dramatic. It's because that's who we are on the inside. We need. It's the reason that we write stories. We write stories to show ourselves that we live in a story and that the story is being formed in front of us in the astral plane. Yep. And so the world just can't end like that. No. It has to be super cinematic. Huh. So if the world is going to end, we are like another two seasons out. At least. At oh, least. Yeah. And at that point, we evolve to some other plane. Like, yes. Because consciousness never goes away. Yes. Um, Either that or we like, yeah, I don't think it ever goes away. I think we can move to something like really silly. I, I think we are still going to be aware of what we are doing to ourselves right now. Yeah. It's so funny. (laughs) I just think that the, the, you know, what's really gross about all of this is how unbearably optimistic it makes me. I look at everything that happens badly as dark humor. Yes. Because I mean, and we might've talked about this, but if you're God and you last forever and so you split off and you create yourself into people and you're, Boredom would be worse than the the worst pain that you can feel. And I think if you live forever and you can do anything, you're going to want to do everything that you can possibly think of. What if love, including the bad, what if love is a godly attribute of awareness or the lack thereof? That's I think, what I, I've I think thought that a lot. I've thought um, that a lot. And that love is like, just, you just add different frequencies and intonations when it becomes intense. Like when you're in love with someone, yeah. there's so many intonations of frequencies occurring. that The whole world collapses around you yeah. and it's just that love connection, right? Yeah. Even if it's temporary, which I do, I genuinely believe that those only exist temporarily. I mm. don't like the connection can stay the intensity. Yeah. You either have to reify well, it comes and goes. It ebbs and flows. I, I, I genuinely don't believe that it's on constant. I think it's forever in the sense that 
if it happened once, it's always happening. So even yes. even if you, in your present awareness, you're not in that state where you know you're in love with that person right now and experiencing what that is and what that means it still happened and you can still like when you go back to a memory you're in a way you're teleporting back to that event in that moment in time right Um, that's why there's uh i think there's like cognitive behavioral therapies where no it's it's either cognitive behavioral therapy or neuro-linguistic linguistic programming where you use memory like that or just your ability to imagine to bring yourself into that state so like one of the one thing that i can think of off the top of my head is like if you're going in for a job interview it would be a good idea to in your car imagine just imagine yourself doing the funnest thing that you can remember in your entire life. You know, whether it's, yes. you know, you're snowboarding or like last time you were at Disneyland and you felt really good or, you know, you, or you imagine view like the last time you were in nature and were just like in awe and how beautiful it was. And you sit there for a few minutes and you go into the job interview and you operate and you ace the questions because you just elevated your state of consciousness. Yes. Um, so in a sense, you were there and you experienced those emotions and you brought them in to, you know, a, a task that's important to you. Performers do that. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I can't tell you how many times Sports I've utilized that, that myself. Yeah. Oh, yes. Oh, um, yes. They've had, I mean, ooh, they, they hired, you know, there's this uh, book called psycho cybernetics and it's about basically creating it it ties in with neville but you create a scene that implies you're getting what you want you know basketball players any sports people really but basketball players will sit there sit down and imagine themselves acing a free throw a hundred times in a row they've done studies where oh god i wish i could remember this study like uh the source anyway uh, they had two people play a game, um, like a computer game where they were skiing. And they had, they, I don't remember the how the experiment was designed, so if I get a, a little bit of it wrong, I apologize. But they had one person, um, I think they both played the game once. And then the night before, they had one person imagine themselves winning the game. And the other person just went to sleep, didn't didn't think anything of it until they went back and played again. And the guy's performance, who just imagined they were playing the game, was like magnitudes better, like exponentially better. Just just thinking it. Um, there's more. Oh God. I, I genuinely you... think that this is like we're about to leave a cliffhanger to talk about Neville Goddard. That's where like all of this feels like it's pushing towards right now. We will. I, like, I I'm going to go through think and... that we have to talk Neville next almost. Okay. There's the way that we've talked about stuff today because I, I there's a, have you seen that Kevin Hart video where he says your life is a movie? Have you seen this? No. It's like a motivational video where he, he nails it. He says life is a movie and you are the main character. You're the actor, director, and you're everything. audience and you yeah. have to learn how to will what you want mm-hmm. and he's saying all this occult language 
Yeah. But he's, well, he's, he's, doing, he's teaching Neville Goddard's new thought he's, he's without realizing it, yeah. that he's doing it. Either well, that or he's being really cunning. Connor McGregor's done the same thing. Yes. He's talked about, and if you look at... So does Joe Rogan. If you look at super old pictures of Connor McGregor, I mean, he was like this ugly little, like, and he had acne, like head to toe. And he truly, like, and then you go, like, if you Google Connor McGregor law of attraction, I don't love the term law of attraction, but, you know, that that's the way some people talk about it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he talked about driving around in a shitty car, just imagining all the things that he wanted and he got them. Same with Tom Brady's wife, Tom Brady. Yes. Says uh, he's like, you know, there, he talks about this openly in interviews. He's like, my wife is a witch and I do these rituals that she gives me and they end up working. And well, you know, who has that many Super Bowl rings? Tom, and Tom, I mean, as, <laughs> as, as, a, as a fan of football, Tom Brady, there's never been another Tom Brady. Right. There's never, and, and I'm not even a fan of Tom Brady. I'm right. As, as an yeah. individual, I'm not even a fan. Of I, I'm a huge fan of Tom Brady as a quarterback. He's, yes. It's, it's just cause it's, there's never been anyone to do it the same way. Right. He was drafted in the fifth round. Wow. In the fifth round. And so when he it. met Robert Kraft, the owner of the new England Patriots, new Robert Kraft stuck out his hand, multi-billionaire owns like he, tech tycoon. He says, my name's Robert Kraft. He goes, my name's Tom Brady, and I'm going to be winning Super Bowls with the New England Patriots. I will be your next starter. And he was a backup yep. to Bledsoe. And Bledsoe gets injured, gets injured one game, and Tom Brady comes in, and the rest Kills is history, it. dude. Yeah. The rest is history. And yeah. he's still playing. He's still playing, and he's in his 40s, and he's winning Super Bowls. There's, dude, yeah. he's a freak of nature. It's the same thing with Michael Jordan, dude. Yeah. And LeBron James. Mike Tyson. Mike Tyson, dude. They all do it. That's the thing. Um, I've I've done so much research that most, if not all, successful people on that level. I mean, you know, you can define success however you want, but the people who are at the top of their game in sports or in business or with whatever they're doing, gaming, they all do this shit in their own way. You know, there's a million and one ways to do it, but it it comes down to the mental mind metaphysic causality. Yes. And elevating your consciousness to the point where you're the winner. We have to do Neville. (laughs) We have to. We will. We'll we'll do a big Neville one. Cool. Um, Well, are you feeling it? I'm feeling really good. You're feeling it? Yeah, that felt like it hit a climax. Let's cut it off there. Um, So, yeah, I don't... We'll figure out a Neville soon. Um, If you want to look into Neville, all... Everything he's ever done is in the public domain... There's a lot of free recordings. The Law and the Promise. Law and the Promise uh, is the number one. It's it's, it's the easiest because, I mean, he d- he talks about all the imagery and the allegory in the Bible and how it means you're actually God and your human imagination is actually God. But if you want to sort of forego, because I know a lot of people have told me this, uh, they, want, they don't love all the Bible mumbo-jumbo, just start with The Law and the Promise. It's short. I, I don't even think it's 200 pages. I don't, it might be barely over a hundred. I can't remember. Um, and it's talked about in a very easy to understand way. I, I think anyway, um, after that one hit up the power of where of awareness feeling is the secret all by Neville Goddard. It's all in the public domain. People have released free recordings. Some of them are harder to listen to than others because <laughs> they slur their words and stuff, but it's still free. Um, I just bought uh, infinite potential, which was done by Mitch Horowitz, and he does, I think he does all of 
his books or at least the big ones and Mitch's voice. And he's to me, I, I love listening to Mitch's voice. Um, so that could be a good alternative to some of the other free audio. Um, dive, dive into it. There's a Neville Goddard subreddit that can be weird though. That, that can sour some taste though. I would say read Neville before going on Reddit. <laughs> um, okay. So I guess that's that. Um, so thanks to the patrons. Uh, if you want to support us, um, if you like what you're doing and want us conti- to continue, uh, go to patreon.com forward slash fake magic. And that's with the CK at the end. Um, we have all of our other links at the link tree forward slash fake magic. And that's L I N K T R dot E E forward slash fake magic. And that's with the CK Instagram at fake magic pod. And that's the magic with the CK Twitter at fake magic. Um, we finally, ordered (laughs) it took a while but we ordered the pins um which were given away on our patreon Uh, and they're pretty cool you can go take a look at it um on our instagram um we're going to be sending them out to the adeptus level uh it'll be pretty sweet so thanks for listening and uh bye love you